Welcome, my fellow patriots, to the Patriot Lessons American History and Civics podcast, where we renew the spirit of America by learning about what makes America the greatest nation in world history, including our founding first principles, key documents and speeches, founding fathers and other great patriots and flags and other key symbols of America. I am Oakland County Circuit Court Judge Michael Warren and co-creator of Patriot Week. This episode continues our detailed review of the Declaration of Independence. Over this podcast, we will be examining each sentence of the Declaration so that we can understand the foundation of our freedoms and liberties. If you missed our prior episodes, I recited the entire Declaration, reviewed the prefatory text, and began to explore the first sentence. You might want to go back and listen to catch up to where we are, but if you don't care about the background and how we arrived at this sentence, feel free to jump on board with this episode right now. When we return, we will be reviewing the sentence that begins, When in the Course of Human Events. Welcome back, my fellow patriots. We are the most unique country in human history because we were the first to actually lay out in writing our origins, purpose, and underlying founding first principles in the Declaration of Independence. And unlike some other nations that have done the same thing since then, we actually take our declaration seriously. The first sentence of the declaration is as follows, quote, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands that have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation, unquote. Last episode, we reviewed the first few clauses of the sentence. We pick up with, quote, To which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation, unquote. The laws of nature and nature's God seems like a quaint phrase and perhaps to the modern ear is ignored as antiquated flowery language, something irrelevant to what we think today. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, this is the heart of the matter, the foundation on which the founders declared independence and based our revolution and constitution. To understand this, we need to understand that the founders held a deep-seated belief in natural law. Simply put, the founders believed that there is a supreme being, a single supreme being, that created the universe and the laws by which it is governed. More particularly, with a few notable exceptions, the founders believed in the God revealed in the Old and New Testaments. This is not the time and place for class and comparative religion, but suffice it to say that almost all of our founders were Christians, in fact, of the Protestant strain. In fact, many of the colonies were established as religious havens from religious persecution, and many of the colonists came to the New World with the express purpose of finding liberty in the wilderness to worship God as they saw fit. That the founders would continue to fervently believe in a Christian God was no surprise. George Washington, John Adams, James Madison, John Marshall, Patrick Henry, and many other leading figures in the founding generation were deeply religious and consistently expressed their religious convictions. Key public speeches and documents made explicit appeals to providence, almighty God, the creator, the supreme lawgiver, the Lord, the ruler of nations, the governor of the universe, and similar expressions of faith in a supreme being. 
This may seem surprising in light of the near omission of the importance of faith and religious beliefs of the founders in teaching the American Revolution, the Declaration of Independence, and the Constitution. Indeed, it seems downright fashionable today to claim that the founders were not motivated by religious considerations, but instead by an Enlightenment philosophy that downplayed or ignored religious motivations. This is largely poppycock. All you have to do is read the founding documents. Here, we are in the first full sentence of the Declaration of Independence, and the laws of nature and nature's God is already being mentioned. Other documents reflect the same. For example, James Madison, in his Memorial and Remonstrance Against Religious Assessments, referred to the supreme lawgiver of the universe. The memorial, which was given before the Virginia legislature, stated as follows, quote, It is the duty of every man to render to the Creator such homage before any man can be considered as a member of a civil society, he must be considered as a subject of the governor of the universe, unquote. In his first inaugural, Madison declared, quote, We have all been encouraged to feel in the guardianship and guidance of that almighty being, whose power regulates the destiny of nations, unquote. George Washington's inaugural address likewise provided, quote, Such being the impressions under which I have, in obedience to the public summons, repaired to the present station, it would be peculiarly improper to omit in this first official act my fervent supplications to that almighty being who rules over the universe, who presides in the councils of nations, and whose providential aids can supply every defect that his benediction may consecrate to the liberties and happiness of the people of the United States a government instituted by themselves for these essential purposes." and may enable every instrument employed in this administration to execute with success the functions allowed to this charge. In tendering this homage to the great author of every public and private good, I assure myself that it expresses your sentiments not less than my own, nor those of my fellow citizens at large less than either. No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States." Every step by which they have advanced to the character of an independent nation seems to have been distinguished by some token of providential agency. Unquote. Washington also issued a Thanksgiving proclamation on October 3rd, 1789, which began as follows, quote, Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and to humbly implore His protection and favor. Unquote. The proclamation assigned November 26 to be a day of thanksgiving, and as follows, quote, Devoted by these people of the United States to the service of that great and glorious being, who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be, the great Lord and ruler of nations. Unquote. Again, these were not stray references, but are replete within the founding generation's writings and speeches, revealing the deeply ingrained beliefs of the founders in a creator. Even the least religious of the founders, for example, Thomas Jefferson and Thomas Paine, being the most notable examples, expressed devotion to a supreme deity and justice that flowed from his decrees. In fact, the phrase we are reviewing right now was Jefferson's. The fact that there is a creator, however, did not end the matter. Remember, the phraseology also refers to nature's law. After all, the fact that there is God does not mean necessarily much of anything. Some today may believe that some higher being snapped his or her fingers and created the universe, but then everything else from there on was just random. 
the founders felt quite differently, and they expressed this in their idea of nature's law. First, let's define the idea of law. I will refer here to Sir William Blackstone. He wrote a fundamentally important work entitled The Commentaries on the Laws of England. The founding generation was well-versed in this treatise, and the lawyers in particular knew it because it was basically required reading for law students in the colonies. Blackstone wrote, quote, Law, in its most general and comprehensive sense, signifies a rule of action, and it is applied indiscriminately to all kinds of action, whether animate or inanimate, rational or irrational. Thus, the way the laws of motion, of gravitation, of optics or mechanics, as well as the laws of nature and nature's nations, and is that rule of action which is prescribed by some superior and which the inferior is bound to obey." Unquote. More simply, there are rules that govern everything, energy, matter, and life, people. And these rules were created as part of the very essence of the act of creation by the Supreme Being. Blackstone elaborated, quote, Thus, when the Supreme Being formed the universe and created matter out of nothing, he impressed certain principles upon that matter, for which it can never depart, and without which it would cease to be. When he put the matter into motion, he established certain laws of motion, to which all movable bodies must conform, and to descend from the greatest operations to the smallest. When a workman forms a clock, or other piece of mechanism, he establishes at his own pleasure certain arbitrary laws for its direction, as that the hand shall describe a given space in a given time, to which the law, as long as the work conforms, so long as it continues in perfection, and the answer is the end of its formation. If we further advance from the mere inactive matter to vegetable and animal life, we shall find them invariable. The whole progress of plants, from the seed to the root, and from thence to the seed again, the method of animal nutrition, digestion, secretion, and all the branches of vital economy, are not left to chance or the will of the creature itself, but are formed in a wondrous involuntary manner and guided by unerring rules laid down by the great creator." Unquote. As you can tell from that quote, there are laws that govern everything. Another writer, who is well known by the colonists, was Charles Secondant Baron de Montesquieu, a French writer who wrote The Spirit of the Laws. He agreed and wrote that God created laws that he and everything in the universe must follow. Quote, Laws in their most general signification are the necessary relations arising from the nature of things. In this sense, all beings have their laws. The deity, his laws. The material world, its laws. The intelligences appear superior to train their laws. The beasts, their laws. Man, his laws. God is related to the universe as creator and preserver. The laws by which he created all things are those by which he preserves them. He acts according to these rules because he knows them. He knows them because he made them, and he made them because they are a relation to his wisdom and power. Unquote. So we have a baseline. God created the universe, and he created the rules by which everything in the universe must follow. But you might say to yourself, that isn't the law I'm familiar with. When I get a traffic ticket or have to file my taxes, I'm not following the law of God, am I? Now that is exactly right. That is man-made law. And although the Declaration of Independence will delve into violations of man-made law, here it is establishing that there is a God who promulgated natural law. Montesquieu explained that each person was subject to a variety of different laws from different sources. Using broad strokes for our own purposes, he explained that there was natural law. 
religious law, that is rules you follow in your own faith, international law, that is law that everyone on the whole earth should follow, and then laws of your nation and local governments. He also explained that human laws, that what many call civil law, were subject to the accidents of history. Therefore, what might make sense to the Chinese could be different to the Japanese or English or those from Zimbabwe. Those laws can be modified as circumstances change or views of the good evolve. On the other hand, natural law is the opposite. They, quote, cannot change, unquote. They, quote, are never to vary, unquote, because they are to, quote, best, unquote, law. Civil laws, he notes, can be novel and improved because you can learn from the past and current experience. Or again, circumstances may change and it's desirable to amend or repeal human-made laws. But natural law is, quote, fixed, unquote, because time and experience will not change the value or efficacy of the natural law. Blackstone concurred, and his commentaries explain that natural laws, quote, are the eternal, immutable laws of good and evil, to which the Creator himself and all of his dispositions conforms, unquote. John Locke, an English philosopher who was highly influential in the founding generation in connection with his belief in unalienable rights, the origin and purpose of government, and the social compact, similarly reflected in his second treatise of government that, quote, the state of nature has a law of nature to govern it, which obliges everyone, and reason, which is that law, teaches all mankind who will but consult it. The law that was to govern Adam was the same that was to govern all his posterity, unquote. Thomas Paine, the author of Common Sense, the pamphlet that was basically the closing argument for the American Revolution, wrote in another influential work, The Rights of Man, likewise, that since the creation of Adam, each successive generation of mankind had the same rights and was subject to the same natural law as the first generation of man. Quote, If any generation of men ever possessed the right of dictating the mode by which the world should be governed forever, it was the first generation that existed. The illuminating and divine principle of that equal rights of man, for it has its origins from the maker of man, relates not only to the living individuals, but to generations of men succeeding each other. Every generation is equal in rights to the generations which preceded it, by the same rule that every individual is born equal in rights with his contemporary. Every history of the creation and every traditional account, whether from the lettered or unlettered world, however they may vary in their opinion or belief of certain particulars, all agree in establishing one point, the unity of man, by which I mean that men are all one degree, and consequently that all men are born equal and with equal natural rights, in the same manner as if posterity had been continued by creation instead of generation, the latter being only the mode by which the former is carried forward. And consequently, every child born into the world just be considered as deriving its existence from God. The world is as new to him as it was to the first man that existed, and his natural right is of the same kind." Unquote. I know I've been throwing out some long passages at you, but it is so very important to understand that the founders didn't simply toss out this phrase about nature and nature's God. It was foundational. And to make it really simple, I'll summarize it in a few words. God created the cosmos and an unchanging natural law, which applies to all people, everywhere, for all time. Now let's go back to the sentence. Quote, 
when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them to another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation, unquote. So the founders are saying that natural law entitles the people of the former colonies to become an independent nation. Entitled here means basically that they have a right. The next main concept is something that justifies or rather required the founders to promulgate the Declaration of Independence in the first place. Remember, two days before the Declaration, the colonies had already unanimously adopted the resolution declaring independence. They could have kept it at that. Uh, but here, in this sentence, they explain why they went beyond the mere resolution of independence. They needed to tell people, not just the people in the colonies, not just the English Parliament or King, not just the British Empire. They needed to tell all of mankind why independence was necessary. History.com succinctly summarizes scholarship regarding the revolutionary nature of the Declaration of Independence. Quote, The Declaration of Independence was the first formal statement by a nation's people asserting their right to choose their own government. Unquote. There is no question that over the centuries that many rebelled against the rulers. Civil wars, wars of secession, rebellions and revolts are commonplace in ancient civilizations during the Middle Ages and in the modern age. What was different about the American experience is that the founders felt compelled to explain why they declared independence. Notice again the language, quote, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation, unquote. The founders felt they needed to tell mankind out of a decent respect for mankind the particular reasons they were declaring independence. In addition, Note the use of the word, quote, impel, unquote. Noah's Webster's Dictionary of the English Language in 1828, which is about as close as we're going to get to 1776, defines impel as follows, quote, to drive or urge forward, to press on, to excite to action or to move forward by the application of physical force or moral suasion or necessity. A ball is impelled by the force of powder. A ship is impelled by wind. A man may be impelled by hunger or regard to his safety, motives of policy, or of safety impel nations to confederate. The surge impelled me on a craggy coast. The several men impel to several ends. Unquote. The founders, in other words, did not think that pursuing independence was convenient, or a matter of discretion, or something they should casually undertake. They were required to pursue it. It was a passion. They were driven to undertake it, at great risk to themselves, their families, and the nation writ at large. Some key takeaways from this episode. The founders believed in a supreme being, a creator who created the world. The founders believed that the supreme being also created natural law, which governs mankind as a matter of nature and course, which law is fixed for all time and applies to all men and women. The founders felt they needed to explain the causes of the revolution to all mankind. The founders were driven to declare independence not as a matter of expediency, but as a passion and necessity. And finally, we are finished with the first full sentence. Ladies and gentlemen, we're at the beginning of the greatest document forged by human hands. Join me next time as we explore the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence. And hold on to your hats. Quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator 
with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unquote. Until then, God bless you and God bless America. To learn more, visit patriotweek.org. To learn more about our Declaration of Independence, Constitution, American History, and Civics, please subscribe to our podcast. Also visit PatriotWeek.org. Patriot Week was started by my then 10-year-old daughter when she pounded on the table and demanded a new celebration for America. We are now nationwide, recently been recognized by the United States Senate in a unanimous resolution, and we really can use your help. You can follow us on Twitter at Patriot Week on Facebook, on our group page, and on Instagram at Patriot Week 1776. Again, if you're interested in becoming involved in this grassroots effort or have any questions or comments about this podcast or Patriot Week in general, please send us a message on the social media platforms I've mentioned or connect with me directly at mwarren at patriotweek.org. That's M-W-A-R-R-E-N at patriotweek.org. Also consider my book, America's Survival Guide, How to Stop America's Impending Suicide by Reclaiming Our First Principles in History by visiting americasurvivalguide.com, Amazon, or any other online retailer. Until next time, God bless you and God bless America.